Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons, Bible teacher and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. But here's how I believe that they were using that word in the context of loving each other with a spirit of humility. It's this. You take the lead in showing honor to others that are around you. So in other words, it's not all about you, that you're the big guy. It just means that if someone needs to have a word to be said nicely about them, you be the first one to say it. You go out of the way to make sure that no one is left out. Nobody is forgotten. Everybody is remembered, rich or poor, young or old, virile or or infirm, that we care for them and that we're going to be the first one in line to show them that kind of unique love and honor, that everybody is somebody in his body. So let's pause and come up for air for a moment. Is there anyone that's even here in this room today that might not have been honored? Is there someone that needs to be honored? Is there someone that really needs to be remembered and not forgotten? And then in our heart we might do that, but now in our checkbook, in our life, in our calendar, what can we do to be able to show that person honor? To show that person, here's a word, appreciation. To let that person know the value that they've had for their life. When I do a funeral, in the middle of my funeral message, there's a point that I speak to two separate groups. The first group is to the family who has someone who died. And I explain the whole grief process and the Holy Spirit of comfort and what that means to them. And then I pause and I say, let me speak to the rest of us who are your guests and other extended family. And I will tell them that the person who just died won't be there in the future for this family. On Christmas, there's going to be the empty chair. On that person's birthday, the empty chair. If it's a mother, Mother's Day, the empty chair. Anniversary, there'll be the empty chair. And boy, everybody is listening to me then as you are now. That's right. That person was there on those days, and this coming year, it'll be new, the empty chair. And I don't leave it there. I then tell the audience that what they ought to do then on those empty chair days and beyond is to use whatever style fits them to go back to the family and call the family, write the family, send a note, bring something by the family. In some measure, reach out to the family and do this. Show honor to the person who would have filled that empty chair if they weren't already in heaven. And let, that pers- let the family know that that person has added value to you. And then tell them that area. Now, that's how you take the lead in showing honor to someone else. Now, I'm going to tell you that it's not always the money that you give, although that's a part of it. Sometimes it's just (sighs) breathing life into them with love by showing preference to them, by giving them honor. Let's go to number five. Love must be enthusiastic. I like this verse. It's a little longer part of verse 11 here, and it says, "...not lagging behind in diligence." fervent in spirit, and serving the Lord. There are three basic thoughts, concepts, principles in this one verse alone. But I wanted to park on the thought of enthusiasm for just a moment here. I want to give you this from John Stott. John Stott said that religious enthusiasm is often derided as nothing but excessive emotion and a sign of fanaticism. 
And he goes on to say, yet the man we call a fanatic becomes a fan when he goes to a football game and cheers himself hoarse. Isn't that true? Have you ever seen when you watch football games, occasionally the camera will go on some fan and this fan is painted in the colors of the, uh, of the team? Can you imagine that? I told you the story of the fo- football game we went to with the Georgia Bulldogs and there was this quiet, this little, shyest little lady that was next to us, always shy, never knew anything about her. And when the dogs did a touchdown, she jumped up on her little bleacher seat, this little lady, I thought she was going nuts, and then she started barking like a dog. You know, hoo, 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 hoo. and I thought, man, that's, and then the whole stands are doing, because the dogs made a touchdown in the game. Now, we don't have to do that as Christians. But at the same time, we ought to do that as Christians, meaning this, that some of us have gotten so lackadaisical about our spiritual walk with the Lord, so lackadaisical about our passion to communicate the gospel to those that are around us, that we just have gone cold. I mean, we live okay, but we don't go out of the way to outreach. Here's another way to say it. We live a nice life, a good life. We don't cheat on our taxes. We do the best we can, but we don't take risks for God. Or another way to say that is we don't put ourselves in a position because of our enthusiasm to serve the Lord to get dirty for God. Because often when you're doing work for the Lord, you're going to get dirty. Least would be sweaty, and it can go downhill right from there to do whatever you can to try to reach them. So how important it is. Listen to what it says in the Amplified Bible, how the Amplified translates the original language, and it expands it by saying this. Never lag in zeal and in earnest endeavor. Be aglow and burning with the Spirit, serving the Lord. Isn't that a great phrase? Now the word, when it talks about here, fervent, in the Greek it's the word like a boiling pot. Like a boiling pot. You know what I'm saying? Boiling pot. Well, I hope you've never been burned by a boiling pot tipping over on you. And when I hear children who somehow get to the stove and that pot falls on them because they pulled it down through whatever they were doing and they're scalded and, 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 and scarred for life, it breaks my heart. But in a way, Christians are to be like that boiling pot. I mean, we're not just water that's room temperature and lukewarm. We are really, quote, here's a phrase, on fire for Jesus. But in a way, that's a good thing to be. Maybe we have lost our passion and I, I hope we haven't. I hope we're very much on fire for Jesus Christ. And we haven't lost our passion for Him. And remember it says, serving the Lord. So if I put that in context, watch how we do this. I'm to love others, and we got the whole list. And then in this verse it says, serving the Lord. So when we want to serve the Lord, it's defined by loving others. And so that's how we really love the Lord, by loving others and getting involved in their life and being a part of it. Well, let's go to the next one, shall we? This would be number six. Love must be enduring. Here it says, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, and devoted to prayer. The middle part is what I wanted to focus on for a moment when it talks about persevering in tribulation. I think that every relationship has hard times. I want you to know that uh, I often tell people, and you've heard me say this, Carol and I have been married for 46 years. We've been happily married for 43, but we've been married for 46. And uh, my wife, Carol, always says, now be sure to tell people it was the first three years, not these last three years, if you're doing the math. And that's true. But 
at the same time, I want you to know as great as our relationship is, and it's a, she's my best friend. We talk about that a lot, about that intimate friendship that we have beyond what I think a lot of other couples have. There are times that um, uh, we growl and we look grumpy. Carol is wrong, I know, but I, uh, you know, but uh, we have to work through those things, and that's the persevering of it. And I'm wondering if many times we give up. Let me give you some statistics. Don't shoot the messenger on these statistics, but I'm going to give them to you anyway, so just listen. They often say that when the first marriage breaks up, it's usually because of finances. Then they say the second marriage often breaks up, usually because of the kids. Your kids, my kids, our kids, and the kids getting, getting, not getting along with one another. That's one statistic. The other statistic is, and again, there's always statistics, meaning that you'll go either way, but here they are, that the second marriages generally don't last as long as a first marriage is because sometimes once we get bit here and we start getting the first little bit of bit here, we want to abandon that second marriage more quickly. And so some of you might have been in a first marriage and I'm speaking to you in a second marriage and I am not speaking down to you at all. What I'd like to do is wrap my arms around you right now and as much love as I possibly can and just tell you, persevere in those trials. Even us that have what you might think uh, storybook marriages, we still have our challenges and struggles as well. But what we have to do is own this verse and that says love must be enduring. Here's what I rejoice in. I rejoice in the hope that I have in the Holy Spirit to work in that other person's life, seriously. So I don't want to rush God working in their life. I have the hope in the Holy Spirit working in my life, and I know He's going to change me. If I'm wrong, I want Him to change me, and I plead for Him to do that. I also have the hope that, like rain in Hawaii, it rains in the morning and the sun is shining in the afternoon. I hope that you'll have that same kind of hope that not every day is always going to be like that. When you are applying these other things, watch this, watch this now, and you do what the last part of this verse says, devoted to prayer. Not, Lord, get me out of this, but, Lord, help me to with joy sustain this for your glory. So put it all together and watch the kind of things that God can do to it. So be that as an encouragement. Um, the former president of Wheaton College, Ray Edmonds, said this. And by the way, I liked it so much, I put it at the end of one of my emails to one of our college kids that are in college. It goes like this. Chin up and knees down. Would you like to write that in your notes? I need to put chin up in my relationships. Okay, take another swing. But my knees are down. I'm praying for me. I'm praying for you. I'm praying for Satan, that God would remove Satan from all of this and do business in the unseen world. Lord, I have hope. I have hope in you. I have hope in the fact that you can change things. And so that's what we do. Chin up, knees down. Number seven, love must be generous. Love must be generous. Now the word love and generous, you got love already, but that, I love that phrase, contributing to the needs of the saints. The word contributing really means to have things in common. And um, watch how we would say this now. How could have things in common with the needs of the saints? So watch how we see that, okay? For those of you that have been blessed with a certain degree of, of income or assets, we might say, and you have that, how do you have things in common with those who don't have what you have, that are really suffering? I don't mean that, that, they, you, that it's communism or socialism, that all have to be equal. The point of the matter is this person absolutely needs 
a basic need of life in order to continue living in any way so they can move forward in life. That's all. Their basic need. And you have something. So how do you have fellowship with a person like that? Well, one of the ways that it helped Carol and me is, is to remember that we too, at a time in our life, individually and as a couple and as a family, we too were poor. I can remember a time when I borrowed a pickup truck to take other people's trash in the mountains of North Carolina to the dump so we would have food to eat. Now, it doesn't mean I ate the food out of the garbage cans, all right? What I meant is I got paid for that, but I had to do that with an earned doctor degree in ministry at a time when we were living by faith and having to learn things, all right? That being the case, when I do have something, I can feel for these people that don't have. I can remember heat in our little one area mobile home with a potbelly stove that we got on the side of the road that I knocked out a part of the wall to put the flume through so we could have heat at night and then we'd still go to bed with our coats on because I couldn't stoke it enough to stay warm enough all night long. I know what that's like, all right? So that's what it means. I have fellowship with them. I have communion with them. I have a relationship with them. So now I can contribute to them because I know what their needs are based on what's happened in the past. Now, all of you have your own stories, but that's what it means by contributing to those that have need. Now, watch this. It is highly possible, didn't say probable, but possible, that once we help them and we help them learn how to manage their mind, do whatever they need to get through those hard times, that they will eventually get through, some quicker, some longer, but they'll get through. Maybe they will become strong enough, and by us helping them at that stage and showing them it came through the grace of God, that they now can help someone else. And that's what makes the body strong. That's what makes all those wires hold up, so to speak, the spiritual golden gate bridge. So love must be generous. So let me just suggest to you, please be thinking about who has a need right now. And maybe we don't have a lot of needs in the church, but we give to the common good here so that when someone has a need, it's already there. We don't have to then go after a collection for someone. It's in the pot, ready to go instantly for that person. So whether you do it individually, you do it as a family, you do it as a small group, we do it as a church that we want to be available. That's what loving is all about is that we want to make sure that we're there for them during that time to help them in some measure. And then lastly, I want to end with this, and that is love must pursue hospitality. It says practicing hospitality, and basically that word just means loving strangers. Now, when you hear that, I want you to think, I don't want you to think in terms of loving stranger means I have to love people I, that are homeless, so to speak. I'm not saying you don't do that, but I don't want it to restrict yourself to that. Keep it where it's at, loving strangers. So you have to define what is a stranger? Who is a stranger? A stranger is anyone you don't know as well as someone else or someone that you don't know at all. Now let me bring that into the context of where we are, all right? If you go back to the people at Rome, when the gospel was being spread from Jerusalem and they were Rome had it and others were coming and going, don't think in terms of that they had... Um, Hilton Hawaiian Village and they had the Outrigger Hotel. Uh, they didn't even have a Holiday Inn, a Red Roof Inn or a Roadway Inn. They had no inns. Whatever inns that they had, they were dangerous because criminal lowlifes would basically stay there. Why? Because they were very cheap to stay there. They are often very dirty to stay there and they were very scarce. They weren't everywhere. So Christians would then look to 
another place to stay. And so Paul is now saying, look, people are going to be traveling through. The church is really growing. The word is going out, and there's not a lot of places for them to stay. So all of you, whatever you've got, open up what you have. Start with your heart, then your home, then your donkey or whatever else you got, and open it up so people then can use it. That's what he's saying, practice hospitality. And so I want you to know that this church, we got here... 2005, by 2006, we had two empty offices upstairs that were not being used for anything. So we came up there, we cleaned out those rooms, we brought in beds and dressers, air-conditioned those rooms, we put in the very best that we could, we put in a bathroom that has a, a full shower in there, a laundry area on the third floor, there's a kitchen up there, you've got to go up there, there's a beautiful little lobby up there with a television, it's all Wi-Fi friendly, the whole place is fixed up for them up there. So even this church is a center of a hospitality, we could call it a hospitality center for our missionaries to come through. We did it as a model so that we would do it, Carol and I, at our home, and you you would do it at your home because that's what this church was all about. Listen carefully. The best spiritual growth that, that happens with a person often happens in the context of relationships. So they're upstairs on the third floor. You might say, well, how do they have a relationship up there in that little office building up there? Well, I'll tell you, when those guests come in, they're sitting in Dennis's office talking, they're chatting with Chizuko, they're chatting with me. They're really being loved on up there, and they're being strengthened so they could go out to their mission field or go back to their mission field. That being said, I want to encourage you to do the same thing. I wonder how many children who had a mom and dad who opened up their home to missionaries or Christian leaders that stayed, whether it was giving up their little bedroom so the Christian leader could sleep in their bedroom, but they heard that little uh, talk story time that those kids caught the fire for outreach and went into the mission field, and they could hardly trace it back to them, but that was all part of the contribution for them to do ministry. And I wonder how many of your kids can catch the same fire by coming up close to real live missionaries and to see that most, if not all of them, don't even have piss helmets any longer. They don't look like Indiana Jones. They look just like their auntie and uncle. But they're on the field communicating that message. I hope that'd be the case. We're going to be given that opportunity here. Do you know that? We're going to have a jubilee at this church in February. We've already been inviting our missionaries. People that have been a part of this church years ago, moved all over the globe, want to come back for this jubilee. It's a wonderful plan that's being planned. The theme is... The faithfulness of God, period. Then we're going to divide it up. God's faithfulness in the past, God's faithfulness in the present, and God's faithfulness in the future. All of it is on God's faithfulness so that we focus on God, not just on the church, and how good God is and what he's done for us as a church. We get that. I'm having people now write us saying, where could we stay? Our rooms are already filled. Now, we can put mats out here, but maybe some of you would like to take in. Maybe it's not a missionary. I have a man who's got cancer. His daughter is a pastor's wife in Hilo. They want to come over here for that one-week jubilee. And maybe that would be a way you could show hospitality to them. Now, let me say this. This whole message wasn't so you'd sign up for this. This is just one little illustration of a bigger picture, or better yet, of a larger bouquet of beautiful roses of love that we can show to one another. If you really need an example of someone, all of this is what we should be doing but all of this was found in Jesus Christ. I'd like you to do this as your afternoon devotion, and if you have a time to get with others, maybe your own kids, go through this list. Try to find out how many of these did Jesus demonstrate this in his life. So if this is the principles, the personification of Christ in principles, and he lives within us, how easy it is for us to do these first eight. 
Oh, it's all about Jesus, isn't it? Well, my friend, let's pray, shall we? What a great opportunity to study God's word today. But I wanted you to receive the greatest love of all, which should be the love of God found in Christ. But God proved his love to us. He didn't just say he loved us. He proved his love to us in that while we're yet sinners, and in the Greek it's while we're yet sinning, and we all are, whether it's thought, talk, and walk. We're sinner by nature, so he proved his love to us with our sinful nature and our deeds. The rest of the verse says, but he went to the cross for us. God commended his love for us. And he died on the cross and he rose again. So he's done the, the saying and the doing part and the proving part of love to you and me. And he says, now I offer you not just my love, not just the emotions of all this. I'm offering you the person of my son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Because we know that in Christ is eternal life. He that has a son has life. He that has not the son does not have eternal life. And so now he wants you to not just receive eternal life. That's kind of a byproduct. He wants you to receive Christ. And when you see Christ, when you trust in Christ, you get eternal life. And so much more. You are born again. A new relationship. A happy day. But you must receive Christ as your Savior. Now he is Savior and he is Lord. But now you receive him as your Savior. He died for your sins on the cross. He loved you. He loved the world, but he loved you. You're part of the world. So now what are you going to do? How can you turn down, oh, such great of love? Don't put it off because you can only do the receiving of this when you're alive. You don't get a second chance. So right now, would you simply trust Christ as your Savior? It's simply admitting that you have known you've done things wrong. And then no good deed you do yourself will get you to heaven, but it's by faith alone in him. So my friend, I pray that you're trusting Christ. And if you're doing that, if you look at this list and you say, man, I failed here, failed here, failed there, just remember that his love also encapsulates forgiveness, which means he's thrown that sin into the sea of forgiveness. He's given you a new life do-over. And now you can have eternal life by faith. Please do that right now. If you're doing that, I'd like to pray for you, but me praying for you won't get you to heaven. Signing a card, walking in an aisle, raising your hand doesn't get you to heaven, but trusting Christ does. The reason I want you to raise your hand if you're trusting Christ in here today is only so that I know to pray for you. And again, me praying for you doesn't get you to heaven, but I'm welcoming you into God's family because you're kind of, you came in the door now. You came in through the door of Christ. You're now heaven bound. You're a child of God. And I just want to say welcome to God's family. You're not joining the church and all of that. It's just you and Christ. So is there anyone in here today that trusted Christ? You received his love, all of these in Christ, and you'd like for me to pray for you? I would. Just slip up your hand and put it down. It's done and over with the moment you trust Christ, and now you'd like for me to pray for you. So today is the day you've trusted Christ. Without anyone looking around, every head is bowed, every eye is closed. Would you slip up your hand if there's anyone in here today? For a moment now, just as I pray, I want you to be thinking about those people in your life that need at least any one of these eight areas of love. Is there a way that you need to reach out to them in a special way? Who's been giving you the most trouble? Family, friends, associates, neighbors? Who needs this love? 
How many of you have been so touched by these truths that you don't want to just single out people? You just want this to be your own inward, outward way of life. You just want to just do this whoever comes into your life. Whoever gets your parking place. Whoever cuts you off. Whoever gets the promotion that you deserved. You want to do that with them. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for these truths and we pray that it has not fallen upon a, a cold, hard heart and deaf ears, but that, Father, we are very tender and needing of these. Oh, Lord, thank you for loving us so much that you would have these truths for us today in the Spirit to be able to live them out so that we can depend upon you to do this and not us to do it in the flesh. Thank you, Father, that you do bring people in our life to help build character in our life, to bring out these truths, to give us opportunities to demonstrate these truths. So we thank you for all of those irregular people, sandpaper people in our life, starting with our own immediate family and then circling out from there. Thank you, Father, for them. Now help us with humility and grace to touch their lives with a new lifestyle of love, at least based on what we've learned here today. And then, Father, thank you for that sweet inner feeling, so to speak, of fulfillment and peace because we know we've done what we should do. And now we want to do more. Now, Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando, Florida. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. Or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear, P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us Make It Clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear.